Welcome to Grace Church San Diego. Hey guys, my name is Scott. We've never met. So excited to be here with you, our online campus. You're like, wait a second, is there another type of campus right now? Well, actually, yeah, we, we will be gathering in the weeks and months to come. We'll be gathering in person more and more. Very excited about that. Well, hey, the message today will reach people that are searching and seeking meaning and purpose in life. So your friends that maybe they don't know Jesus, would you forward this, share this with them? If you're on Facebook, hit the share button, share it with your friends, your family. If you're on live stream, go to the URL above, the web address above, and hit copy and paste it, send it to your friends, and, and just say this might have some impact on you. You might resonate with this. Anyway, welcome Grace Church. So excited you're here. Well, years ago, about six, seven years ago, we were at my in-laws, and uh, we were all hanging out. We were having food. We were eating dinner together. My mother-in-law lost something. She lost her keys, and she was looking for them. And she's like, guys, will you help me looking for them? She was like, she wasn't panicking quite yet, but it was close to it. She couldn't find them anywhere. And so we're all looking for, her, for the keys for her. Long story short, she ends up finding them. Where she found them will blow your mind. She found them in the microwave. And I'm not making that up. That's not a joke. That's a real story. Sorry to throw you under the bus, Jan. I love you. But she finds them in the microwave. Can you imagine that frantic feeling of, I can't find something, your phone, your keys. We can all relate to that. And then you end up finding it in the microwave. Now, it's like seven years later, we take every opportunity to rub it in her face. When she loses something, we always say, did you check the microwave? And it's a funny, funny story. But just, not just stuff, but people can get lost too. And it reminds me, uh, when I first started going to Haiti one time, I was in Haiti and I went with a Haitian national out in the marketplace to go shop for some stuff. And we're out in this area and he goes, hey Scott, it's a little dangerous in this area, so just stay close to me and you'll be fine. They were wandering through town and buying stuff. I dip into a store and he goes, I'll be right back. I'm going to go next door. And he goes into the store next door. And long story short, I come out and I go next door. I can't find the guy anywhere. And I'm like, did he leave me? Where, where am I even? And I remember feeling a little panicky myself. Like I myself was lost. And so I stayed there for a while, and then I started searching for him up and down streets. And I know a couple things. I know that, number one, I look pretty different than a Haitian man, so I stand out. Number two, I know that my tattoos mean something in Haiti, and it usually means you're part of a gang. And in that gang kind of neighborhood we were in, that could be or the recipe of a, of a dangerous situation. So I was, uh, I was a little freaked out. I knew the direction of where we were staying. And so after about a half an hour, I just started uh, walking in that direction up and down streets until finally I found my way. And about an hour and a half to two hours after I had lost the guy, I went up. I've never been so relieved to walk up to a 12-foot high wall and gate with an armed guard with a shotgun to greet me. And I walked into the door and the whole team was there and they're like, where have you been? And I felt so, so relieved. Our stuff can be easily lost, and so can we in life. We can lose ourselves. We can lose our way. A lot of people feel lost these days. This is a crazy world that we live in. There's so much chaos going on in our world and in our cities. But the version of people that can be lost, we can put and categorize and generalize them into smaller buckets. I hate to generalize people, but the extreme version that you're used to and that you might think of is maybe there's the criminals 
and uh, just the bad people, maybe homeless folks or, or people who are struggling in different ways, addicts. And those are the extreme version of people who are lost in our world. But then there's another category, right? There's people who are lost, and I think people who are lost in issues, in the issues of today. We're in a very divisive world and people are politically charged and standing in their positions and opinions on social issues. And so they could lose their identity in those positions and in those uh, opinions. And so because of that, their opinions become them. And instead of being the complex creature of a human being of what makes you, you, or me, me, we get reduced down to our political party or to our opinions. And can I say this? You're not those things. You're not those positions. You're not those opinions. Don't get lost in those. The majority of us get lost in a different way. Most of us in our life, we get lost in the things that we pursue, right? You could relate to this. You have this deep need for, being, for having value and having love. And so you pursue love through relationships. You pursue value through stuff and money and career. And those things aren't bad in themselves. But I find more and more that people get lost in that pursuit. And the whole time we're searching to fill this void and to, and to seek all this stuff and to fill our lives with stuff that inevitably don't fulfill us, and then we find ourselves lost. I remember watching an interview of Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was interviewed, and even he was talking about this. Even in his heyday, when he was making $400 million, he, he talks about himself back in those days when he was at the height of his career, that he was just trying to fill a void, and he says he was a lost person. Jim Carrey uh, I want to read you this direct quote. He said this, I think everybody should get rich and, and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. You see, even these celebrities and well-known famous rich people know that we're just trying to fill our lives with stuff. And at the end, it's empty. The definition of lost is unable to find one's way, not knowing one's whereabouts. See, it's, the definition of loss is, re, is down to this. We don't know who we are or where we are. And so today, we look at what it means to be lost in life and God's heart towards the loss. That's what I want to talk about today. Today is the last message of the series, Reclaim, where we've looked uh, to reclaim our lives by allowing God to reclaim our hearts. And we've been looking at these stories, these encounters with Jesus. And we did that on purpose because we know this, that only the person of Jesus, the relationship with Jesus, is something that will change a person. Not going to church, not tithing, not, you know, affiliating with this group or this party or whatever it is, but just knowing Jesus is what truly, truly changes people, which is why we felt it so important to pull out of the scriptures stories of encounters with Christ. Today we're going to look in Luke 15, if you want to turn to it. It's the third book inside of the New Testament, towards the end of the Bible, past the middle. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the four Gospels, so it's one of the Gospels there. And I want to paint the picture. I want to create the scene for you of what's happening. A lot of our other stories have been similar in that Jesus was in the height of his ministry, and he was going from town to area to region to heal people, to um, perform miracles, to preach and speak. And it was this incredible time of, of his life and his ministry where people would hear rumors of him. He wasn't just a rabbi. There was something unique about him. There was something special about him. And so they would flock to where he was at. 
And then they would see him from afar and they would gather close and press in on him in a large crowd in just the calm, confident, loving voice of Jesus. They knew something was unique about him and that's what's happening here. Well, in this story, the religious leaders come out. The leaders of the synagogue, they call them Pharisees often in the New Testament. The Pharisees come out. These were the, the judge and jury of the church and the people. And they came out to question Jesus. Because you see, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, like to, to put people in these buckets and separate them. If you were bad and you were called a sinner, you're a bad person. We don't affiliate with you and you don't affiliate with us. We don't talk. We separate. We don't mingle and hang out. And see, Jesus was different. He was breaking that cultural barrier. And he was crossing that line and loving people that no one else loved. And that's who Jesus was. And so in a response to the Pharisees, what happens in this crowd is the, the religious leaders make their way to Jesus. And they accuse him and question him. And they accuse him of hanging out and having meals with sinners, which was a big deal in the Jewish Hebrew culture in, that, in those days. So they say, this is what you're doing. You're hanging out. You're having relationships with bad people, with criminals, with sinners, and you're having meals with them. So Jesus wants to respond to these pharisaical leaders, these religious leaders with onlookers, which is the entire crowd as well. But he's speaking to the Pharisees. And when he speaks in Luke 15, he tells three stories known as parables. And one of them I want to camp on. It's a popular one. You've probably heard it a hundred times, but I hope and pray that God reveals something new in it. First, he tells a story of a lost sheep. And a lot of you who've been in the church have heard about this. He leaves 99 sheep that are within his care because one of them is lost. And he goes and he finds the sheep and he puts it over uh, his shoulders. And the shepherd comes back and he celebrates the fact that he found the one because he left the 99 to find it. The second parable or story is the lost coin. And there's a woman who's frantically looking all over for a coin that she had lost. And a lot of Bible scholars say that it's like losing a wedding ring because back then women wore these headdresses when they were married and there were coins in them. And if, if it was one of those that were lost, she would, do, she would move earth, her whole life, everybody and everything around to find that coin that had so much significance. And she ends up finding it and she celebrates because of it. There was always something lost and then a celebration when it is found. The last one is the lost son, known as the prodigal son. That's the story I want to read out of Scripture. Turn to Luke 15 with me. Read with me. But he spends more time in the story. Why? I, I mean, I think he, he hits the shepherd thing, the sheep, hits the coin thing. He's like, well, if you can't relate to that, we can all relate to family drama. So let's talk about a story of family drama. So he dips into this story. So I want to first read this in three different sections. 11 through 19 is the first part. Let me read it for you. It says this, and he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to the father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Give me my inheritance. And he divided his property between them, the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Reckless is this word, asotos, which means he just wastes it. And when he had spent everything, he spent all of his money, a severe famine arose in that country uh, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out 
to one of the citizens in that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he, and this is verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the, with the pods that the pigs even ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have much more than uh, enough bread, but I'm here, I, I'm perishing here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. It's verse 19. So here he is. The younger son is selfish in this moment. He's like, you know what? Give me all your money, dad. It's as if, you know, that happens when you die, but let's pretend that that's happening right now. What an insult, right? Give me my inheritance and I'm going to go. It's as if a young son did that now and went to Sin City, Las Vegas and had partook in every single sin that Las Vegas had to offer and squanders it, loses all of it. And he finds himself in this pit with pigs and he's at this place of complete, what we call today, rock bottom, right? He doesn't know what else to do or where else to go but to go home. And he realizes even the workers that are employed by his father have more than him. And so he's going to, even with his shame, his embarrassment, his guilt, he's going to go home and beg for forgiveness. He's sinned against his father. This is such a significant story for Jesus to tell the Pharisees. You see, when Jesus told these stories, he often told these stories and people were like, what the heck are you talking about? And I just imagine the Pharisees squirming as he keeps telling this story because it goes against every single lifestyle, cultural tradition of that day. The young son finds himself lost. He sought pleasure. He sought stuff. And ultimately, it did not fulfill him. And he decides to go back ashamed, afraid. He's a failure, but he wants to come crawling back. Here's the first point I want you to get from this story. Because God lets us leave. His love allows us to leave. God has given us life and gives us the free will and choice to choose him or to run away. And that's what Jesus is unveiling and trying to reveal and show these pharisaical leaders, these religious leaders in the crowd. God lets us leave. He loves you that much. That is part of who he is. I cannot make my kids love me and God cannot make us love him because that wouldn't be true love. That wouldn't be a, a, an unconditional love that we need to have in the freedom and, and the beauty and power of a relationship. So I want you to pause for a moment in the story, and we're going to pick it up in a second in verse 20. But think about the father. The father, the youngest son, leaves him. Imagine how, what he would feel, betrayed, disappointed, anger, frustration. Imagine where he is at. Even the embarrassment in the town that he lives in. My young son took off, took my money and, and ran off. So think of that. Put that in your head. Put yourself in the shoes of the father. And let's pick up and read in verse 20. It says this, and he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and the father, get this, listen to this, felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. The son said to the father, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet 
and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. For this, my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. What a beautiful response. It says he felt compassion. He ran, he embraced him and he kissed him where he should have rejected and frowned upon his son's returning. He did something so unique and so different, this father. You see, the power of this story lies in the heart of the father. It's not just about the son, not just about the older son, which we'll read about in a second, but about the heart and the response of the father. He should be angry. He should have yelled at the son as he comes across the street or down, you know, down the road. He should be yelling at him and instead... He wants to celebrate, and I love that. And I love this part, too. One thing that I've read this story so many times. One thing I realized at this time when I was going through it over and over again is he doesn't let the son sit and sulk over his shame. He doesn't let him sit in shame. He picks him up and says, we're celebrating. And Oh, yeah, and you're celebrating, too. We're all celebrating. We are reunited. You were lost, and now you are found. You are reclaimed. Here's the second thing I want you to see, the second point that I want you to see from this scripture that Jesus is telling these Pharisees is that not only does his love allow us to leave, but his love waits for us. His love waits for you. And that's what he's, he's sharing and he's, what he wants the Pharisees, the religious leaders to learn, what he wants all of us to learn is that his love waits for us. The heart of the Father, father just it waits and then it celebrates for our return. And I love that. I know that so many times in my life personally, when I've wandered off selfishly, seeking pleasure or stuff or money, whatever I've done in my life, most of it was in my 20s, by the way. I've wandered off. I've come back to return to find a loving God waiting for me, not to scold me, not to curse me, not to condemn me, but to love me. And that's what he offers us. His love waits for him. And if you don't know him today, I just want to say this. Like what's so profound in this story, the prodigal son that maybe you've heard of before, maybe you've even heard it preached before or read it, is that this is all about a relationship with him. The relationship supersedes the behavior. It's more significant than the moment, the circumstance, the drama, the anger, the emotional investment into the circumstance of what's happening. And I also want to speak to you, church, those of you who are Jesus followers, we need to be a church that celebrates the return, people who are lost, and when they are found, when they find Christ, when they come, where, however they come, and in whatever form, and whenever they come, we need to celebrate. We need to be a church that celebrates, not looks at them in judgment, but celebrate the fact that they are returned. The son is reclaimed in this moment. The father embraces him. But there's more to the story. I want to read verses 25 to 32 for you. It says this. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what, these, what this meant. And he said to him, your brother had, uh, has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28. And he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when your, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for, for him. 
And he said to him, this is the words of the Father, Son, you are always with me, and all, this, all that is mine is in fact yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, but now your brother is found. Now your brother is found. See, as I read this, so many times I'm like, what am I going to tell in this story that's unique that people haven't heard before? And granted, it's not my job. The scripture speaks for itself. But here's something that I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me is that I'm looking at the older brother, which a lot of we, we, we read it over and we keep going because we're like, what is wrong with you, older brother? Why aren't you celebrating the fact that your younger brother is back and he's safe and he's not dead on the street or he's not lying with the pigs or he's not poor, he's not out there doing stupid stuff anymore. What is wrong with you? But at the same time, that would be my reaction, right? I'd be really upset. I'd be really angry. That would be, if you're honest, that would be your reaction. That would be all of our reaction. The response of the older brother is completely, totally rational. That's a rational human level response that any of us would have. Is that not true for you and I? There are so many people irrational, like on social media, right? Fighting and bickering and, and going crazy. We see it in the media, people going off and doing stupid stuff and saying stupid stuff. And we see irrational behavior and words out there every single day. But a rational response, a rational response on a very human level is to be very angry with someone who has offended you, right? You feel offense, it's totally okay these days to be angry at them. In fact, these days, if someone disagrees with you, you it's cool. If, you, if you're mad at them and never speak to them again, that's totally normal. That's totally rational in today's day. The brother's response is a rational one, but that's not the f- response of the father. That's not the heart of the father. That's not how he responds. It's not how he reacts, right? You see, Jesus tells this story making these Pharisees squirm because it defies every fiber of legalistic religion that lives inside of them. It goes against everything that they stand for and want to do and want to see happen in their churches and their synagogues and their society. They want to judge people. They want to be on top while you and I are down here. Like we talked about last week, Pastor Nolan talked about self-righteousness. These, they're very good at that. They are the worst. Now, if you fell asleep for a little bit, if you walked away from the screen for a little bit, come back. I want you to hear something real quick. The most important point I want you to get is coming up right now. Because God's love, God's love isn't rational. God's love is irrational. He has an irrational amount of love towards you and I. And Jesus is trying to teach this in this parable, in this story, in this moment to the crowd and to the leaders of the synagogues, the Pharisees. His love is completely and totally irrational. While it's normal and rational to hate, to be angry, to yell, to scream, to Facebook argue, that's a normal, rational thing these days. God's love is different and God's love is irrational. That's how he feels about you. And so Jesus is trying to reveal by demonstrating and showing telling the story of the heart and response of the Father, and that the same is true for him, uh, for God, that it is for the Father, that he feels compassion, right? And that he runs towards us, he embraces us, he wraps his arm around us because his irrational response in love for us completely removes, removes human emotion. 
Because when we're wandering out there and we're lost and we're seeking all kinds of different things to make us comfortable and feel good and seek this religion or meditate or, you know, whatever it may be, practice that you're doing, when you were done replacing God with everything but him, his love is there. He let you leave, but he's waiting for you. And his love is so irrational that he can't wait for you to return and him to embrace you. I love that story. I was thinking about it for me on a very personal level. There is a person that I haven't spoke to in a while because I feel offended by them. I feel wronged by them. And my rational response, which if you knew the details, it's a rational response. I don't think I'm wrong. I think it's a normal response. I'm not talking to them. And I feel convicted about it because what would be irrational for me in my position on the issue in my relationship would be to reach out to them. And at some point I'm going to do that because this story, the words leap off the page and they soak in and it means that I need to have the heart of this father. We need to have the heart of this father. We need to become more like Jesus in this way. See, some of you feel very, very far from God. Some of you have heard about him, talked about him, been preached at about him, all these things, but you feel so far from God and have no idea what it looks like to come to him, to have a relationship with him. Some of you, because of your lifestyle, your choices, your sin, if you want to call it that, has taken you way out to sea. You can't even see land. You have no idea how to go home. You have no idea because of that guilt, that shame inside of you. You see, most of our lives are filled and is about the consequences of our own choices. And even though we know that we've done to ourselves what we've done, we shake our fist at God, even though it wasn't him and we chose everything but him. But you see, all these encounters, as we wrap up the series, all of the encounters with Jesus display the character and the heart of a loving God and it strikes the uniqueness of Christianity. There is no other man-made religion that can speak to this type of unconditional love that Jesus expressed, he lived, and he offers you today. He says, I love you so much. I'm ready to reclaim you. I have to let you leave, but I love you. My love waits for you. And when you return, my response, my reaction is going to be irrational because I'm going to run after you. I'm going to be so excited. I'm going to feel compassion. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to kiss you. So with all of your pursuing, you may find yourself lost. And God is saying, Jesus is saying right here, just come to me and you'll be found. You will be found. I want to ask all of you, which are you closest to becoming where you find yourself, you're already there. Are you like the lost son? And you know you need to go home. You know you need to come to Jesus. Are you like the older, oldest son? Are you judge and jury? And your rational response is to get angry and judge those. And you need to become more like the father. Are you like the father? You have the heart of compassion and love and grace. And you're just ready for those who are lost to come back so that you can celebrate their return to the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel message, the sacrifice of Jesus is so powerful, so true, and it loves you. He loves you. He waits for you.
he celebrates in his irrational love for you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, for those of you who don't know you, God, I pray that you would strike a match in their heart, help their human heart respond to its creator. If that's you, cry out to him. Say, God, you sent your son Jesus to die for me. I'm lost. And in you, I want to be found. I receive you as Lord, the Savior of my life. I give you my life. God, for all of us, I pray that we would have the heart of a father and that those who are lost, because these days so many people are lost, so many people are seeking and searching. God, I just pray that we would have that heart of the father and the story that you told these religious leaders, Jesus, help us be more like you. Help us to have this heart, this heart of the father. Help us to transform our relationships, our coworkers, our communities, our neighbors, our friends, our family. God, help us to make an impact by drawing close to you and you living through us. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.